candy-colored clown they call the Sandman Tiptoes to my room every night Just to sprinkle stardust and to whisper Go to sleep, everything is all right I close my eyes Then I drift away That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, Craig's been weird lately, so we'll just keep an eye on it. Should I go ahead and join GARC and see if it adds Craig in? I don't think you can invite <laughs> GARC. Okay. He comes with he comes with the Craig. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, uh, welcome, listeners, to Fall of Delta Dream, nineteen sixty-three. The Year of the Hair. Uh, this is our all of Delta Green 1961 group returning. Uh, some one, one returning character, uh, three returning players, and we've added a all star, uh, highly sought after, you know, free agent because we really felt like 1961 was good, but if we want to go to the next level, we need somebody with the capabilities, the talents, and the reputation of Ty to be in this game. So <laughs> That's right. I'm glad we could reach uh, uh, agreement on my contract. <laughs> I know. It just, you know, I, I, again, I want to advise you that the rest of the players do not know the terms of that contract. Oh. <laughs> yeah. This is privileged. <laughs> glad to be here. Glad to expose my lack of knowledge of 1960s Southeast Asia. <laughs> so the good news is that I suspect Jason and Jesse are the mm-hmm. only two that are going to have more knowledge than me, and they're not blatantly contradicting me when I get stuff wrong. So <laughs> we're going to be in good well, shape on this. You told us time and place. We just did, you know, our due diligence. I know. Well, so here's the interesting thing. I, I said time and place, and my my thought is that Jesse then used as an opportunity to launch into a new investigation. I, I think for Jason, it's like, oh, been there, done that. I, got <laughs> I, I, I didn't do any additional research. So it's not fresh, at least. Yeah. yeah. He's been waiting to play this character for about three years. So I have. I have indeed. <laughs> uh, so this is session zero of our game. Uh, we're going to talk about the tools we're using. We actually had a little bit of that conversation before we decided to start recording. Uh, and we're going to meet the characters. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, Saigon in 1963 because it's it's probably not a place that immediately um, fills a, a potential player with lots of oh we'll be doing this and oh this is the situation and so on and so forth. And uh, I anticipate we'll kind of close out with the 
introduction to what this campaign is going to be about. <clears throat> I suspect that'll be all the work we get done tonight, but that's pretty good for session zero. So, of course, in fine cabal tradition, we have to start with what's everybody drinking? So, uh, same I'm as always, soda water. Oh, salt water. Soda water. <laughs> oh, soda water. Okay, well, that's good. It definitely makes more sense. <laughs> yeah, I was say that's I'm playing useful. Abe Sapien in this campaign, so yeah. trying to get in character. Mm -hmm. I assumed it was just a new hipster thing, you know. <laughs> yeah. I'm on the saltwater cleanse. I was at the saltwater <laughs> microbrewery, and I <laughs> their latest brand. So, no, after Ralph. Uh, endlessly ragging on me for my love handles during the con i thought man maybe i'll take this opportunity to get back get back on track ty what you drinking today uh i've got some uh limoncello uh, that my actually my father made last and brought some last i saw it so i got a, a couple couple fingers and uh cool glass Yummy. Nothing, nothing says fall like limoncello. <laughs> <laughs> Those nice autumn, autumn spices. That's right. Uh, Jesse, I am drinking um, mio with vodka in it. So flavored, like it's a Kool Aid with, with vodka. Cool. And no sugar. And, and no sugar. It uh, propylene glycol instead. Yes. Yeah. It's way different. Uh, Mark got coffee. Nice, <laughs> classic. Mark, I was thinking about you earlier, and I was like, "Man, I should drink coffee too." But then I, I have, have to wake up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I need to sleep tonight. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah, it so. tends to interfere with that. I am uh, drinking red wine because I'm classy as that. Yep. Oh yeah. Nice. It's it's a horribly cheap red wine, so I probably lost most of my classy as F points for that, but there you go. Okay, so fall of Delta Green, 1963. We are, um, for this game, uh, we were just talking about, we're using something called the Black Book, which is a um, web-based program. It's a web-based character sheet, basically, for the gumshoe uh, role-playing games. Currently, it supports Trail of Cthulhu, Knights Black Agents, and Fall of Delta Green. Supposedly, at some point, the Yellow King um, and Swords of the Serpentine will get added. Uh, so it lets the players build their characters. It lets me, as the GM, keep an eye on all of their uh, point spins, their uh, what skills they have, what skills they don't have. Um, and we're using Discord for our audio and Black Book does a nice job of reporting out its dice rolls to Discord. So that's what we're going to be using. We're going to be, we had a discussion about the possibility of, do we need Roll20 in this game? I think at this point, we're going to go without Roll20. I will reserve if, if we kind of drift towards a situation where we need a tactical map and we want to move tokens around and things like that, I may create a Roll20 for that purpose, because I'm not sure we have a good tool to uh, to really do that otherwise. Um, so that's kind of the 
20,000 foot level kind of what we're doing in this game and how we're doing it. So uh, you guys want to talk about your characters for a little bit? Sure. Jason's been waiting three years. To talk about <laughs> this was the original Fallout Delta Green character. It was. So, uh, so I am playing um, Seng Lin. Um, I've typed it in the character sheet as Lin Seng, um, just for, I think, Americans of, of the era would anglicize it. So I've, I've done it. Yep. Um, so yeah, her her first name would be Lynn. Um, she is an intelligence officer for the Central Intelligence Office, um, which is one of the, I think, five or six uh, intelligence agencies in Southern or South Vietnam at the time. Uh, she acts as kind of an, es not an escort, how we would think of it, but she's uh, she'll go along with CIA or um, U.S. Uh, personnel as a translator. Her father uh, is a bureaucrat uh, in the uh, South Vietnamese government, um, and she kind of grew up in that switch over from the French regime into uh, quote unquote self governance. Um, so she speaks fluent French, um, fluent English, and of course, Vietnamese. Uh, she's young. She's 25. Um, let's see what else. Her father fought for Diem in, in the war. Uh, so she has some strong patriotic uh, beliefs, definitely, uh, for, for Vietnam uh, in general. Um, South Vietnam specifically, she's certainly not a communist, um, but she is, you know, the Vietnamese first. Um, and from a religious perspective, um, she practices a, like a folk religion. Um, it's not quite like animism, um, and she's actually seen you know, it work um, in, in specific ways. Um, so she has kind of a, an open mind, I guess, to, to the occult. Excellent. Uh, so one of the things I had told the players was that as part of this session zero, I'm gonna kind of give them my take on Vietnam in 1963. So I think what I may do is I may intersperse bits and pieces of it as we talk about the characters. Because this seems like a good time to talk about the uh, Ngo Dinh Diem regime. So Diem is the president slash premier of South Vietnam. He uh, came to power, I believe, in 1954 as the French were looking for an exit strategy. He was appointed by the... Um, Emperor, who is basically a puppet of the French, because he needed a re somewhat respectable um, face to be the the South Vietnam regime that was going to replace the French colonial regime. So Diem is very hardworking. Um, he also 
is very much what you would call a kind of a Mandarin in the sense that he came up through this very professionalized quasi-French civil bureaucracy. Um, he initially was, many people thought when he first was placed in power that he was just gonna be a placeholder and quickly pushed aside. So somewhat to the surprise of people, he's actually stuck around, consolidated his power. Uh, there's an argument that the Central Intelligence Agency and the US government played a significant role in helping him cement that um, position. But pretty clearly, I think for Lynn, um, she would realize that he's a power of his own within Vietnam. And I'm assuming, hmm, somebody just join or somebody drop or did GR? No, I got you. Recording? Okay. I just heard a boop, 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 like something yeah. dropped. Um, so Lynn, I'm assuming that your father is on favorable terms with Ziem and his regime um, because he has a job and that's probably why you got your job is what I'm guessing. Right, yeah. yeah. So particularly for the players who are playing American characters, the one notable criticism of ZM regime uh, as Americans is that um, it, from a Western American perspective, unless you are from Chicago, Ty, um, <laughs> you would perceive it as corrupt um, in the sense that patronage and personal connections and loyalty to him are the primary factor in deciding who gets rewarded with appointments, promotions, the ability to be involved in government. And if you're not connected to CM, then you're on the outs. Um, the other thing to note is CM has a brother, uh, <laughs> Yu, um, who is effectively the ultimate head of uh, the intelligence services in South Vietnam, not mm -hmm. officially, more unofficially. Um, he is a fairly controversial character, uh, very unpopular with the Americans. They perceive him as um, bringing out the worst in ZM and um, using anti-democratic and authoritarian methods to ensure the safety of the regime. Uh, he also has a wife who is controversial because she's, <laughs> uh, uh, it's hard. She's she, a colorful she, character. Yeah. Um, she seems like a Hollywood wannabe in the sense that she, is very into fashion and she's very controversial. Um, uh, if she were alive today, she would have a large number of Twitter followers. So, um, because she says controversial things and takes controversial positions. Um, so many of the Americans feel that New and his wife, Madam New, um, are problems that need to be dealt with. But again, I think Lynn I don't know how Lynn feels about uh, new, 
Uh, maybe she can tell us how she feels about New and Madame New. Um, and I guess to address the kind of, um, not necessarily nepotism, but the kind of what is seen as corrupt, right? Like the, the that's kind of how the Vietnamese villages would work. Like they're very insular, and if you know people, you you know it, it's it's very insular. Um, so I, th I it, there definitely was corruption, um, but that's also just kind of how things are done, much like Chicago. Um, so I think I, I think that aspect of of the government wouldn't bother Lynn so much um, with new um, yeah it's <laughs> it's hard to say right um, yeah hmm because he's kind of a blowhard he's kind of a jackass um, but he's also the guy um, I don't know. I'll have to chew on that a little bit. I didn't. I didn't expect sure. him to come up for some well, reason. Well, you don't have to have a answer right now. I just. Uh, I yeah. suspect at some point during this game, you may need an answer about how you yeah. feel about uh, new. Uh, I think for all the players, a good way to think of it is a fair way to think of him is he is Jim's uh, hatchet man. He's the guy that does the dirty deeds. He's the guy that is the enforcer. You know, he's the guy that goes and has the you know, the conversation that needs to be had. And, and to follow along with kind of Jason's comment, uh, again, the criticism I, I portray to that regime is very much an American criticism right. of that regime. Um, and to be clear, this is not corruption in the sense of people that just, you know, get their government position and they get a paycheck and they don't have to do anything. Jim, Jim is very serious about the job that needs to be done. He won't tolerate people who are lazy. He won't tolerate people who aren't doing the work. It's just to get the job, you have to be connected, but you're still expected to actually do the job. So again, to use the Chicago analogy, you know, you could be the corrupt ward boss, but you better make sure the garbage is picked up and you better make sure that people, you know, if they have complaints about the utilities, they get taken care of or they'll find some other corrupt person to be the ward boss and you'll be out. Um, but this, this just runs afoul of American perceptions of fair play and how a democracy is supposed to work. So um, that creates a tension in the relationship between the Americans and the South Vietnamese government. Okay, Lynn, anything else you wanna tell us about your character at this point? I don't think so. Okay. Uh, let's meet Jackson Jack Cooper. Just Jack, thank you. Okay. Um, Jack um, was a uh, was a Marine, uh, not a Marine. He was shoot. Uh, as as people may be aware, when when I create a character, I try to cover all possible bases so that no matter what. <laughs> Thing, what story Rex comes up with my, my character <laughs> is somehow involved so um, so Jackson Cooper uh, fought in Korea uh, in the 7th Cavalry um, and uh, 
he was they they were stationed in in Japan and um he he found a a young widow by the name of Bin Sakamoto um who had been taken as a war bride in French into China and was um was uh, Vietnamese and so uh they ended up you know getting together and um moved back to Vietnam after the Korean War and started a family. Uh, uh, during the Korean War, Jack may have been part of uh, the, the No Gunry Massacre, and uh, he's, he's been trying to um, right that wrong ever since. Okay. Um, what's, uh, his philosophic religious outlook on life? He's basically converted to, to Buddhism. Um, he's, he, he's really, he really wants to follow a, a peaceful path and, and that seems like the most You know, it, it his his uh, his wife is you know is Buddhist, and so it it just sort of made sense for him to to follow to follow that. And uh, he's he's actually works um, you know part time as a as a translator, uh, but also he he works as as an activist um, for for the Buddhist pagodas, uh, and you know he's he's a little. He's a little annoyed with with the the bin um, uh, attitude towards towards Buddhism, um, and and uh, the you know that attitude was uh, <laughs> was was poked a little bit by the um, the pagoda. Um, Uh, assaults that that happened you're being so restrained in your description of how jack cooper feels about all this so well he's he's a very restrained guy like he's he's, <laughs> he, he's trying to to sort of he, he doesn't want to be in the middle of things he he's sort of trying to stay out of direct conflict and he keeps sort of getting like side swiped by it and, and he's he doesn't like that <laughs> right. uh, so here's an uh, opportunity to talk about another important aspect of saigon in 1963 and, and vietnam in general um the vast majority of the population are buddhists um no dian jim and his uh brother are Catholics, which is a fairly small minority in the country. Um, and Diem is a fierce Catholic. In fact, he is well known for insisting that only Catholics be promoted into positions of high authority, including in the military. In fact, it's gone to such extremes that certain officers in the Vietnamese army 
convert from Buddhism, Buddhism to Catholicism because they know if they don't, they basically have no route to higher command in the military. Um, this is a something that's been handed down from the French time in when the French controlled Indochina. They effectively made it illegal to openly display any type of uh, symbols associated with uh, Buddhism. They didn't actually go around and try to stop people from practicing Buddhism, but they very much tried to uh, stake out a position that the Catholic Church was the only correct religious authority in Vietnam. And, and Diem is very much kind of carried that over into his regime. It's another point of criticism from many people in the United States that he is intolerant of uh, the Buddhist faith. Uh, his brother, New, is not only Roman Catholic, but he is a Roman Catholic of a very particular subset of beliefs, commonly referred to as personalism. You guys can go Google that at your own leisure. Um, and so this creates, this has always created attention and it's 1963. And if I not say earlier, I'm gonna start this game basically beginning of October, 1963. Oh, wow. So, so the, yeah, I went back and forth where to start this. Um, I was tempted to start in May. But then I thought we'd be playing this game for four years before we get to a conclusion. <laughs> so I've, I've, I'm trying to get my slow burn to be not quite so slow. So, um, so what all the players' characters would be familiar with is something that's generally referred to as the Buddhist crisis. So starting in May of 1963, there were a series of conflicts between the Vietnamese government and um, leaders within the Buddhist faith. Um, and there was a violent incident in Hue in May of 1963 that led to kind of a crisis. Then there were some negotiations about potentially ZM relenting a little bit and acknowledging the um, freedom of Buddhists to practice. Um, uh, then there began a series of Buddhist demonstrations over the summer. And if you don't know anything else about the Vietnam War, I'm sure you're all familiar with the famous picture of the Buddhist monk who immolated himself on the streets of Saigon. That's look happened during, look at it right now. Look at that right um, now. So, and I've managed to forget his name, but the first Buddhist monk um, who did that was very much, had become a martyr. Um, and his uh, suicide, for lack of a better term, became a rallying cry for a number of the urban Buddhist practitioners including some of the pagodas in Saigon. Uh, the, uh, there we go, Thai is linked to Kwong Druk's self-immolation. Uh, 
there were a series of protests, uh, rallies, marches, increasing in size and intensity to the point in time where in August of 1963, Diem, in consultation with his generals, um, decided to take a preemptive strike. They stormed the primary center of uh, the known res Buddhist resistance, the Zaloi Pagoda. Um, number hundreds of, well, probably thousands of Buddhists were arrested in the process. Um, hundreds of Buddhist monks can't seem to be found now. Not clear where they are, what's going on. Um, and it's very much prov provoked a crisis response. Um, Ziem's regime took the position that they were doing it to protect the country, that the Buddhists had been infiltrated by the communists and they were a front mm -hmm. and they were trying to destabilize the regime. Um, Tai's character would be aware that shortly thereafter, a cable was sent to the incoming ambassador to Vietnam, Henry Cabot Lodge. Um, suggesting that the events of August 21st, 1963 were of such a nature that the uh, administration in Washington needed to reconsider its position in relation to the ZM uh, regime. And so something that Ty's character would know um, based on what he's created about his character is that since then there have been a lot of discussions about whether there's a better choice than ZM and if so, how would that happen? Um, it, it, it's no secret. There are stories in the American press about whether ZM may be deposed um, and what the US government's reaction to it would be. So it's not like anything secret right now. Uh, and of course these stories, um, you know, CM is no fool. He's aware that these stories are out there. So there's definitely a tension now in the relationship between the South Vietnamese government and the American government. And players who are playing American characters are going to be well aware that, that there are open discussions about whether ZM is going to be ousted, and if so, by who and under what circumstances. Um, it's, it's coffee shop talk, if there are coffee shops in Saigon in 1963. Um, so you don't have to have answers right now, but my questions I'm gonna have for Jack Cooper at some point are, how did you feel about the August 1963 crackdown? Was anyone that you personally knew affected by that? And then my question for Lin Song that you don't have to answer right now, but I'll need an answer at some point is, what involvement, if any, did you have in the crackdown, subsequent interrogations, things of that nature? Okay. So, uh, and, and ju just so listeners get a get a sense of um, Madame New, um, her reaction to the the burning was, uh, "quote She would clap hands at seeing another monk barbecue show." 
she was a special person. Whoa. So. Yeah. So she's super popular, clearly. Um, and Jack Cooper, I'll come back to you in a minute, but I'm going to be interested in knowing how it is that Delta Green ended up uh, deciding that you were an asset worth having. Uh, so let's talk to a known Delta Green asset, Lieutenant Gregory Lamont. All right, yeah, Gregory. Uh, Gregory is uh, returning to the scene here. Um, uh, yeah, based on the end of last, uh, this is kind of what Rex and I went over in the private chat, but after the last season's uh, story, Greg found himself, um, I guess you'd say, just professionally embarrassed in the uh, in the aftermath of the Mikado incident. And um, and his boss, the uh, don't have his name handy. His uh, the, the captain who he worked under, who was always a little jealous or envious of his, uh, a little insecure about uh, Greg's abilities and his future with ONI. Um, kind of always thought he would get surpassed by him, I suppose. However, he used that against him, uh, kind of. Uh, took that as a, or, or used it to keep him down, uh, deny him promotion and uh, professional advancement, that kind of thing. So he had a couple of uh, rough months after that. He um, probably started drinking a little more than he usually does. Um, was a little dejected in foul mood. And that was end of 61. So I want to say, Early two thousand, early sixty-two, he was approached um, by. Did we want to say it was ONI or Delta Green directly? Could be whatever you want. Okay. Um, let's call it ONI. However, you know Delta Green is pulling those marionette strings, but um, on its face, he was going with ONI to. Uh, they asked him if he wanted to accept a, a, a new assignment due to his, I mean, he's got the Russian ability or the, you know, the Russian language ability and signals intelligence. And uh, with the situation that is developing in Vietnam, they asked him if he wanted to transfer or, you know, take a new assignment. So, uh, so he took uh, he, Accepting that, spent probably a large portion of 62 over, I don't know if it was in Ray yet, but, you know, going over to language school, uh, picking up some Vietnamese, you know, enough to get by in, in the city and just getting briefed on the, uh, the political situation there, just how life is in, in Southeast Asia. This is something that he's not really he was never really familiar with and right now he's still he's still learning uh quite a lot um but he's there so, to oh go ahead well no so i think we decided that his official job is he's part of the military assistance group vietnam mog um some point in 63 it it trans 
missions to Military Assistance Command, Vietnam, although they both continue in existence. So it's a classic government. Uh, we can't actually replace anything. We'll just create a new thing mm -hmm. on top of the thing that we already have, and then we'll figure out the turf wars afterwards. Um, but you're definitely there helping in some degree helping to assist the nascent South Vietnamese Navy. Um, but what you're really doing as far as your day job is signals intelligence to determine, you know, whether the North Vietnam is using, you know, what methods they're using to ship weapons down into South Vietnam. Um, so you're doing signals intelligence work on that. And Delta Green obviously is happy to have an asset uh, in country, particularly an asset that has some practical experience. Um, I think it would be safe for your character to know that when you came out to Vietnam, you definitely got kind of a brief on uh, from Delta Green that um, there were concerns about how the unnatural might play out in mm -hmm. Vietnam and the fact that this was an area that they don't have a lot of experience with, um, but they know enough to know that there are ancient things, old things um, in Southeast Asia that are connected to the unnatural. And their concern is the turmoil of the conflict mm -hmm. and then in Southeast Asia is going to lead to the discovery of these things or the utilization of these things as a weapon in the conflict. So they're very happy that you're in Southeast Asia and they're very concerned about how things might unfold. Good. And is he, uh, so you think Greg is, is he stationed in Saigon? Or so to oh, absolutely. Oh, okay. Absolutely. Okay. Saigon. Good. This is, this is similar to your gig in Jacksonville. You've got a, a crew of people, they have radios, mm -hmm. they're doing interception and recording. It's a little more real time because okay. the idea is your passing information to the South Vietnamese Navy and the US Navy advisors working with them to try to interdict the shipment of weapons via, uh, you know, junks, you know, whatever mm -hmm. they call them. Um, right, right. You know, very low level ships. It's not like the Russian Navy's involved at this point, although you're, one of your missions is also to keep an eye on what the North Vietnamese Navy is doing and are the Russians helping them or not. Right. Um, so you're definitely in Saigon. You interact a lot with the South Vietnamese Navy. Um, uh, but Delta Green's reminded you that you work for them. When the time comes, they may need you to, may need you to do stuff. So, excellent. Um, trying to think if that's a segue into any other big picture stuff. Not sure that it is. So let's meet Willie Kane. Willie Kane. Uh, yeah, Willie uh, is currently uh, serving as a uh, case officer uh, for the Directorate of Plans for the CIA, and. Um, he had some military service uh, right after World War II. He got into the Army, um, got into, in particular, intelligence and counterintelligence for the military, uh, was actually stationed in Europe for a while, and then 
ended up um, going to Korea and served in Korea until the uh, cessation of hostilities. And by about that time, he was ready to get out of the military and kind of parlayed his background in intelligence and his then location uh, being being based in Southeast Asia. He kind of turned that he got a a job at the CIA, basically. Mm -hmm. And he has been... um, uh, running agents in uh, Southeast Asia for the the, the past uh, handful of years. Um, okay. You know, I had him, I, I think, nominally set in in Laos. Um, I had actually just finished reading um, the Honorable Schoolboy, and uh, that's that's set there. So that was kind of my inspiration, or m- much of it was set there. Um, so I was kind of hoping that I don't know, maybe that's that at the time was the CIA station he was he was uh, set up at, um, but he has agents that he runs uh, throughout Southeast Asia, and it, he doesn't necessarily need to be based in Laos, but that's kind of what I was had had in my mind at least initially. Um, but yeah, he's he's responsible for identifying and recruiting, and then uh, in a sense running or managing the the agents that are going to pass some intelligence uh, that are going to be, be that's going to be beneficial to uh, the United States government. Um, he's he's patriotic, although the the uh, he doesn't really care for the intelligence bureaucracy, um, uh, but he does understand that it helps him get his job done uh, for America. Uh, he's he's. His background, he's he's got a kind of a, a waspish wasp-ish background, but he also doesn't care for the, those trappings either. But he, sometimes he can't avoid or get away from uh, some of his his family background. In fact, he has an uncle who's reappeared into his life uh, recently, re-entered his life. Uh, he actually happens to be a, an academic of some kind that I haven't quite identified, but he's a a Southeast Asia expert um, and a bit of a black sheep in the family, and so he's he's kind of reappeared in, in Willie's Willie's life. Um, he's he's a keen observer and a man of action when called for. Um, you know, certainly stands out in Southeast Asia, but is a is a a fine agent otherwise. So I'm almost getting a Lawrence of Arabia type vibe off him. You know, there's a quote from that movie about you're one of those strange, desert-loving English. You know, Willie Kane <laughs> is one of those strange, you know, Asian culture-loving Americans. Um, or is it just this is where the job is, so that's where he's working? No, yeah, that's fair. You know, I, uh, he maybe falling in love uh, hasn't uh, uh, isn't maybe the way I would think about describing it, but he has. Uh, it's the the sense of not quite adventure, but sense of duty, sense of patriotism, uh, and in in a place where he thinks he could make a difference. Um, okay, so he's like not a John Paul Van. Uh, so I'm completely fine with Willie Kane being stationed in Laos. Um, it, it, 
I think the only thing that would be a question, given kind of the nature of his character, and I just want to look at something real quick. Um, so, where is it? So, unsurprisingly, you've got ten of you've got ten points invested in network, and for our listeners at home, as a reminder for our players, uh, the network skill is. A, a pool of points that what it lets you do during the course of the game is at any appropriate time that you want, you can spend some of those points to quote unquote create a network connection that you have. Uh, typically, they are people. Um, you put a certain number of points from your network into those people, and then those points can be spent by that NPC to provide things to you that you might not normally be able to provide. So oftentimes, you know, if you're someplace where you need weapons or lodging or some other resources, oh, you know, I have this guy that's one of my agents and he's a you know, low-level arms dealer and he can get us just the stuff we need. You know, we put two points of network in him and um, or you know whatever it might whatever it might need to be. You know, this guy in the French embassy, I turned him a couple of years ago and mm -hmm. This, that, and the other. So the only thing I would say is just be thinking about uh, how your pool of agents would extend into essentially into Vietnam. Mm -hmm. Although there may, be, there may be situations where you're going to want assets in Laos. Because mm -hmm. um, I have a very broad sense of where this game's going, but mm -hmm. the details. We're going to find out, we're going to play to find out what happens. So the, the details of many events will unfold as we play. Uh, so it might be useful to have connections in Laos or North Vietnam or other places yeah. in Southeast Asia. So Yeah, I mean, as we're talking here, like I'm, I'm frantically searching for things. And as you're going over it, like, oh, yeah, I remember the Buddhist crisis uh, from from the Ken Burns uh, documentary and I all oh, here it is on Wikipedia. Like, I guess what I'm getting at is like, I'm still kind of piecing together things. Sure. And, and especially also, I wasn't quite sure if we were going to start in Vietnam itself. Um, but if, I guess I, if for now, like if I can keep the option open, let me, let me look at a couple things and sure. I very well may want to have him and it may make sense to have him stationed in, in Saigon. And um, that's a couple of things I want to look at. Right, and so let's talk a little bit about Delta Green as an organization, because um, I think that might help kind of answer some of your thoughts about it. So Delta Green is a sanctioned but ultra-secret organization within the United States government. And its charter, um, the players would not necessarily know all this, although I think probably Greg Lermont, based on his prior experience, has been read in on this. Um, Delta Green was created after something called the Innsmouth Raid in uh, 1928, when um, existence of the unnatural um, and entities that would challenge the human con conception of the natural order of things and their place in the universe um, were uncovered. It was determined that this is information that would not serve the general public to know. Um, and that these things of the unnatural 
need to be dealt with. They don't need, they're not tools to be exploited. They're things to be kept at bay. Um, so Delta Green exists within the United States government. It's a secret organization. There are probably only Um, there are probably hundreds of people in the United States government that are not directly involved with Delta Green that may know of its existence in some form. Um, and the way Delta Green typically works is they identify useful assets, typically within various branches of the United States government, um, and recruit them. And when circumstances arise, they will deploy the appropriate assets to solve a particular problem, usually under some kind of guise recover story. Um, but sometimes it's they simply rely on the agents to use their connections and their role within the US government to create their own covers um, to address these problems. Uh, so the reason I'm saying all that is. You know, Willie Kane, it would be, in my mind, I, I doubt Delta Green has hundreds of operatives in Southeast Asia in 1963. It could easily be on the line of dozens of operatives in Southeast Asia in 1963. Um, so I could easily see Delta Green, even if you were in Laos, pulling you into Saigon mm -hmm. for a operation um, because you're an asset, you're in the region, even though you may not be in country. Um, and, you know, it's, it's not a situation where there are, you know, Delta Green strike teams lounging around in a fire base just waiting for a phone call to come in and, you know, jump yeah. in their aircraft and take off. You know, you, all of y'all have day jobs to do. And one of the challenges of being a Delta Green agent is to uh, be able to balance and live that double life you know, to, to live the cover um, and tell the appropriate lies so that you can do Delta Green work while you're appearing to do your day work. Uh, so I'm fine with Willie being in Laos if that's what you decide. And uh, he'll, he'll just be summoned to Saigon because I am going to start the game in Saigon. Got it. Okay. Okay. So let's ask Jack Cooper the question I didn't prepare him for, which is uh, why Delta Green decide to recruit you? Or maybe I did prepare you for that. I'm not sure. I think I, I prepared myself because um, I, I had decided that, that Jack had, in fact, encountered the, the unnatural before when he was uh, given a Buddhist rosary um, by... Uh, someone he was translating for and when he was when he was using the rosary later it's more like a prayer bracelet um strange things started happening and and he he hasn't been read in on on delta green specifically but but you know from from above table, you know, Delta Green sort of stepped in to, to help him out with that problem. And they have him keep an eye on um, Buddhist relics in the, the Saigon pagodas to sort of, you know, keep keep track of them. And, and uh, all he knows is that 
you know, the pe- people who, who helped him out when he needed it, you know, like, like him to check up on, on things. And he's, you know, walk, going around talking to, uh, to monks and, and abbots at the various pagodas anyway. So. Okay. So would it be fair to say that he's more of a Delta Green friendly versus a, yes. okay. Yeah. And, and okay. He's, and it is, go ahead. He's, you know, an, uh, he's an asset, but he's not an agent yet. And it, right. And it is very common for Delta Green to, um, to have assets um, that, that are not fully read in, not fully vouched, not fully authorized to do things. And what happens from time to time is as the needs of a particular operation arise, assets sometimes get brought in and the net result, if they survive, uh, is that they're now fully in Delta Green. So that's, I just want to clarify that, that makes perfect sense. Which then will take me to Lin Song. Um, is Lin Song fully read in on Delta Green, or was she more of a Delta Green friendly at this point as well? I think she's also friendly. Okay. Yeah, and she, she's probably worked with them in the past, unbeknownst to her, as an interpreter or a driver. Um, and and it's kind of that kind of double operation where you know she's she sent in as an interpreter, but then she also reports back anything that um, that she finds out. But so she's probably had dealings with them, but she's she's not a member. And what does she think about the unnatural? You made some comments about her her philosophy or religion is uh, kind of an ancient, you know, animistic type faith, but mm-hmm. she's actually had some experience with um i i think it's around healing and probably fertility that she's seen um but the the stuff um that you know like her grandmother would do works where um and what i didn't say is on the surface of course to be in the position she's in she she's a catholic in in public um but she's never seen a Catholic prayer work, whereas, you know, the stuff she's experienced um, at home, she's seen, you know, the, the rituals actually produce results. So she's open to the supernatural. She's very comfortable with the idea that, um, you know, there are things kind of beyond our understanding and and that people can kind of tap into that. Okay. Uh, perfect. And uh, Willie Kane, does he have any prior experience with the unnatural? And if not, what's his connection to Delta Green at this point? You're muted, Ty. But maybe that's because Ty went away. Um, so that, that's how he's connected to Delta Green. I think it's an amazing <laughs> story and, no. but did you miss it? No. Well, yeah. Um, 
uh, yeah, so I was kind of throwing this together on the fly. So he's actually got a best friend. So one of, one of my bonds, um, I'm, I'm riffing off one of my bonds here. He's He's got a best friend uh, who is a local duty ops officer for the CIA, right? So basically a duty ops officer helps when missions are going on. You know, when there's a mission in theater, uh, they're coordinating a lot of different things. Um, and he's wheelchair bound. He was injured in service. So I'm thinking about something where this this friend Lucas Johansson was he was he was an agent or is an agent of Delta Green, um, but he got injured on a mission, and something where he he recruited or he he confided in Willie uh, about what happened and Willie you know is a disbeliever and he doesn't buy all that mumbo jumbo, but you know, out of being duty bound to his friend, uh, he's, you know, thinking about helping get to the bottom of it, right? So he, 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 something, he knows something's going on. Maybe he's heard the t- term Delta Green. He hasn't been on a mission, but maybe his buddy put him in contact with a, I call it a recruiter or somebody, but somebody to, to, to get him going and help out. So yeah, fine, fine. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll play your little game and, you know, I can maybe be helpful and bring some peace to my friend, Lucas. Right. Yeah, no, that makes sense to me. And, and interestingly for Willie Kane, in my mind, he probably knew exactly what was going on because he basically was being, it, 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 the roles were reversed. He was being recruited by a handler, much like the way he recruits people mm-hmm. as a handler. So you kind of saw it coming in the sense that, um, you know, not a lot of inf- it wasn't a two-way exchange of information. There was a lot of, <laughs> hey, you know, I think you could help me with something. I think I could, you know, here's what I can do for you. And, um, you know, you want to do the right thing, correct? And you want to fight the real fight and you know one day i can't say when but this day will come when when i'll call you and i'll ask you for something and i'll just need to understand that you're going to do it and accept it um so weirdly as a professional i think you you pretty quickly picked up this is a recruitment and i'm i'm being recruited as an asset and apparently you were comfortable enough and maybe lucas you know, convinced you you know i can't tell you exactly why but i can tell you that you're you know, you're cut out for this and you could help and you could make your country and the world a safer place which just seemed to fit your patriotism so. sure sure thing lucas uh you know anything for you buddy nice all right um so greg Lamont, uh your parents are going to be returning as uh bonds in this campaign mm-hmm. that's fantastic so um, you know, maybe we'll we'll bring someone from your father's past back this time and uh, cool. complicate your life. So, um, and you listed your ex-wife, which I think she was a bond last time, but we never really did anything with her, did we? Yeah, and I'm okay. I'm open to changing these or that one if we if it feels better or if it's more like fits the story better. Um, 
And then, and like, then I was thinking someone in Vietnam, well, who I, I haven't, I'm still kicking around ideas for that. I'm not sure who okay. that could be yet. Um, yeah. So let's, let's, we can fill that in later. You know, remember the value of bonds is a mechanically, they're basically a battery of extra stability points for you to draw on when um, you're in a situation where your stability is being challenged, your stability has gone low. Um, so, mm -hmm. and thematically what it represents is you get deeper and deeper into the work of Delta Green and the, the uh, reality of what the unnatural represents. It kind of tears away your normal everyday life connections, makes those more difficult because you realize kind of the futility of all this when you really think about what's going on that all this silly everyday stuff in life really doesn't matter. Uh, I will notice that two of our returning players have gone 10 of 10 in stability points. <laughs> <laughs> Lesson learned. Yes. Mine faded so, really quickly last time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so our last game, Jason's character uh, just went with the default starting four points of stability. Mm -hmm. Even after I cautioned him that that was probably a very low amount of stability, he's like, let's let it ride. And uh, and he had some problems. So uh, Ty, for your benefit and for those who've not listened to uh, 1961, in this game, you'll notice that there's both a sanity statistic and a stability uh, statistic. Stability is your current immediate um, mental ability to get the job done, to, to, to act and function. Um, and so as shocking and unnatural things happen, you take stability tests. And you can spend points from your stability pool to make sure you pass the test. But then the problem is you're lowering your pool by doing that. Once you go negative, um, you become shaken, which has certain negative impacts on your ability to function. And then when you go to like, I can't remember the, I'll have to go back and look now. I want to say it's like negative six or beyond that you're basically shattered. So um, you're pretty close to useless at that point in time. And then I think when you hit negative 10, you're, you are useless. Sanity is kind of a long-term mental health of the character. Um, just, to, just your general understanding of life, the universe, and everything. And, and you know, as you get exposed to more and more of the unnatural and the ancient ones and things of that nature, if they exist, by the way, because they might not exist. Just saying. We don't know. You don't know if they exist. But if they did exist and you became aware of them, it would chip away at your sanity. And when you zero out in sanity, you're done. So stability of the thing is going to be hit most often during the course of the game. Um, and I, I'm going to make one change from how we played 1961. Because we have Black Book now where, that tracks everything for us. Originally in 1961, I kept everyone's stability secret. So I didn't tell them exactly how much they lost. Uh, they knew how much they had spent, but they didn't know exactly where they were. Um, I think for this game, I'm just gonna try out letting you guys see all that 
I suspect that y'all are good enough role players that you know you're not going to metagame that too much, um, and you'll still probably play it straight. And that way, I don't have to keep track of this stuff anywhere other than in the black book. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so we've met well, the I, I thought I did. I, I thought I came across a, an episode for a 1962. You did. And, and was it just one episode? Uh, well, see, yeah. So there was. Uh, there was some legal stuff, and uh, you know, we haven't said we're not going to finish 1962. So. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so actually, that was our um, our international cabal cast. Mm-hmm. So that was okay. Swede and Anthony. And when Swede got just basically out of pocket, mm-hmm. um, we kind of quit playing. And now Swede's back in pocket. So theoretically, I can return to 1962 and kind of finish that storyline. But yes, there. 1962 is unfinished. I'm not sure if it will finish. So we'll see. Um, uh, in a perfect world, I would have finished 1962. So those events potentially would have some impact on 1963. They might, Got anyways. Got so, it. Okay. Um, so, I was sure I missed something. I was like, okay, is there more to this? Okay, got it. No, 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 no. And above the table, the way I'm playing this, I'm really approaching this that each campaign is kind of a self-contained thing. There's not necessarily going to be character carryover. Like both Jesse and Jason started new characters for this game rather than carry over their old characters. Um, and so uh i'm not too worried about making sure that i have continuity with you know the prior adventures i'm going to try to do that but you know really other than greg lamont all the rest of the players the characters know about 1961 is yeah that was a pig thing and it was a disaster and embarrassment and you know cia tried to take castro out so that's what you know. Ninety-nine point nine 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 percent of the people know about 1961 and in the Bay of Pigs. You get a couple of drinks in Greg Lamont. Who knows? You might learn something else about 1961. That's right. <laughs> uh, you know, particularly if it's vodka. Um, so, questions at this point uh, before we do some. Very brief, I think some brief role playing. Anybody want to tell me about any more of their bonds? Uh, Lynn's are with her 12 year old sister, uh, Chow, and her maternal grandmother, uh, Yen Pham. Jacks are with um, his wife and kids. Uh, he has two kids. Uh, the abbot of Jacklam Pagoda, uh, which is where he, um, you know, goes to uh, services essentially. Um, and then uh, he is actually uh, uh, he's participating in in martial arts, uh, something called Vovinam, which um, 
actually everyone will be familiar with with the one move from Vovinam that that you've all seen, which is the the flying kick, um, where you basically like the scissor kick, where you grab the person's head between your thighs and sort of flip them. Nice. Uh, that, that's from Vovinam. <laughs> the Chun Li. Yeah. So that's um, that's and and he's actually. Uh, it's his instructor is is Lei Song, which is who is the uh, sort of the originator of of it. Um, uh, so that those are his three um, three bonds. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, go ahead, Willie. Yeah. Well, uh, one more. So I mentioned his uncle, who's an academic. Uh, his buddy Lucas. Uh, who has some connections to Delta Green. He also has uh, an ex-girlfriend who's British. Uh, she's a journalist. Her name is Sophia. And she's based in Bangkok. Um, covers Laos and Vietnam. And uh, they're, they're on good terms. Willie's a little bit brokenhearted. It didn't work out, but uh, uh, she's still part of his life. Nice. And Lieutenant Lamont, we kind of covered yours a little bit. You got your parents making the mm -hmm. return role and somebody here in Vietnam that you'll name at a later point. Uh, yeah. I don't think anyone's going to need to worry too much about the bonds tonight. So, um, and just kind of, we didn't really talk about like what your characters are good at or not. So let me ask the players. Um, when you're in Black Book, are you just seeing your character, or do you see the little matrix thing that has all the characters? Only you can see the matrix. Okay, all right. So I'm the one that that realizes none of you have taken any points in accounting, which is going to make the, the yeah. first scene in the French International Commerce Bank kind of a dud. But, uh, <laughs> let's see what we do. Uh, so what I'll do, this is always kind of in play, but I'm going to be uh, even more 21st century GM. Yeah, as we play, if you feel like there's something that you invested points in and you're like, you know, I thought it was a good idea, but it doesn't, doesn't seem like it's ever coming up. And I actually wish I'd put my points here. Just let me know. And we'll just kind of let you move your points around. Uh, is there anybody who's kept any points held back? Um. No, I didn't, but I transferred over what was in roll 20, and I'm showing like negative build points in an investigator. Right, because I, I gave you, uh, I think, like an extra language point. Uh, okay. So should yeah, I, I, I should be at three then. Okay. That... Yeah, no, because I feel like theoretically Greg Lamont learned some things from his last adventure and uh, so this this game's not really about you know growing your character and unlocking cool new things that and the other there is some sense of progression associated with it so um yeah i threw a couple points on there for okay for coming back so um all right so i'm thinking is i'll kind of set the stage for you and then maybe that'll be a good point for us to to wrap up session zero. Before I do that, anybody questions, comments for the good of the order? 
No. Yeah. Good no. stuff. You guys want to do some role playing? All right. Let's do it. Uh, so it is uh, October 1963. I'm just going to say it's October 1st. We may fudge that date slightly uh, later. Um, and each of you are going about your, your daily affairs. Um, Jack Cooper, what's a typical day look like for you? Um, wake up. Uh, eat breakfast with the family. And then um, head out. Uh, I I took down um, the Buddhist flag. I was I was flying uh, in direct contra- contradiction of the the order after the uh, the pagoda raids because because um, I I didn't need that uh, <laughs> that attention on my family. Technically, it's never been legal to fly that flag since the French yeah. administration. Just pointing that out. But. Technically, but uh, but uh, if I if I have a, a translating gig, I'll I'll head over, head that way. Um, but otherwise, I'll uh, I'll start off by you know saying hello to the uh, the monks at at my pagoda and. Um, See if there's any any news that that I can that I can act on on their behalf. Or any uh, you know, and and of course I'll you know the, the latest dirt on Madame New that nobody cares about anyway. <laughs> nice. Uh, so um, you actually get approached by one of the monks who says there is a. Um, there's an American, um, you know, here at this pagoda who's, uh, I'm not really sure what he wants, but um, maybe you could interpret for us so that we could understand. He seems very confused and. Uh, oh, of course. You know. Good, good morning. Uh, what brings you to, uh, to the pagoda? Ah. Uh, Thank goodness, someone who can finally speak English. Um, yes, I just, this is terribly embarrassing. So um, I, I'm here visiting. Uh, my company's trying to decide if we're going to uh, invest in South Vietnam. And um, I actually was kind of done with my work. And well, honestly, um, I was looking for a day at the races but um, this clearly is not a racetrack, and I guess maybe you could direct me to that correct location. Here, uh, I can show you the map that I have, and he reaches out with uh, a tourist map of Saigon. I'll I'll take the map, um, and I'll say, um, thank you, sir, and... uh... You know, if if you're looking for races, South Vietnam may may not be the place your company wants to look. Ah, okay. Thank you. Well, you've been very helpful anyway. And uh, again, I'm quite embarrassed, but have a wonderful day. And he he heads off. And of course, Jack Cooper, you're you're reeling a little bit because you've been told that if you're ever asked about a day at the races, that that is the signal that Delta Green wants to 
talk to you about something. Uh, yeah. And you notice on the map that there's actually an address that has been handwritten uh, on the map and uh, a time also handwritten on the map. And you anticipate that is where you're, based on your, your prior interaction with Delta Green, that that's where you're supposed to be um, at that time to find out what Delta Green wants from you. Yeah. And I, I tell the monks that he was just a stupid tourist who was lost. Typical, uh, typical American. So Lin Song, uh, what's a typical day for, for you look like? Um, if I'm not on a mission, um, I go into kind of a nondescript office um, where there's like typists at the front. Um, and it's a kind of a front that I can report um, and then also have like administrative duties if I'm not doing something actively. So it's a place to kind of type up my reports and, and send them in with while still being somewhat discreet. Okay. Uh, and I do want to circle back to a question I had uh, dropped on you earlier. Um, how involved were you in the uh, pagoda raids and the subsequent um, interviews? We'll just use that term. Uh, sure. Monks. Um, I think she would have um, interrogated them. Uh, so perhaps a, a dozen is what I put um, over the course of you know a week or two. It, it takes a long time. It's a it's a long process. The the type of interrogations um, that that we would be doing on suspected communist infiltrators. Um, and it's part of the job. Um, that, did that leave Lin Song with any particular feelings one way or the other? Um, I mean, they all ended up admitting to being communists, so she was, she was doing her job. Nice. Did she get the highest admission rate of any interrogator? <laughs> Probably not. Okay. Is there some kind of reward for that? Like, you know, a bonus or? I know bonus would basically be the same as a regular interrogation. <laughs> just um, I, I mean, that's the goal of the interrogation is to get to get the uh, the confession. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know that. Yeah, I don't think there would be a bonus or anything. That's just that's just part of the job. OK. So you notice in uh, your paperwork that you have that you're going through, there's other paperwork there as well, that um, you notice that there is a, a typewritten page in English um, that appears to be a fairly nondescript like request for um, assistance in uh, you know, taking an American location um but then you notice something strange about the way the documents formatted uh, 
eventually you deduce that there's a, a message hidden within the English uh, and it is uh, you're invited to a day at the races which so we're taught in your interactions with Delta Green in the past that if there were a day that were to come where your assistance was needed that this was the message that would would clue you in um, and uh, there's an itinerary of the different places this American would be going, and you notice one of the addresses just is again formatted slightly differently. It's like a, like inset a little bit than the other addresses, um, and you can kind of tell by looking at the other addresses um, that they're probably not places. They're nonsensical addresses for mm -hmm. the, the the purpose of the request versus the one address that's slightly off. Which would make sense. So your uh, intelligence training tells you that that is the place that they uh, want to meet you, and the time they want to meet you. Okay. Uh, Willie Kane. Mm -hmm. What is a typical day in Laos like? Uh, into the office early. Um. Catching up on all the latest uh, news, uh, reading newspapers where I can, catching up on uh, paperwork, uh, got any telex that came in overnight, uh, checking in with the duty ops uh, team to see if uh, anything happened uh, with any of my uh, my agents overnight, anything that needs needs my attention. Uh, and so let me ask you, would Willie, Quain, Willie Kane's quote-unquote main office be uh, part of the U.S. Embassy in Laos? Uh, yeah, I, I think I'm assuming that, uh, you know, I'm on station uh, at the embassy um, and assuming that the, the, the CIA manages their, their stuff from there as well. Okay. It's Vietien, Vietien, how do you say the, what's the capital? I, I know exactly the place you're talking about, and mm -hmm. uh, I'm not going to try to do a better pronunciation. So uh, maybe Jason okay. will help us. So. <laughs> I'm the last person to pronounce things. Okay. Um, so I'm still going to say that the embassy staff in Laos has enough interaction with the embassy staff in South Vietnam mm -hmm. that um, it, it's fairly common knowledge in Laos that the State Department in particular is um, really dissatisfied with GM uh, and are making some pretty strenuous demands for regime modification and if you can't meet those demands, that they're also kind of saber rattling that, you know, we're going to have to review the entire relationship with South Vietnam and what the U.S. commitment's going to be. So, um, you know, just from, you know, the coffee, uh, water cooler kind of discussions that take place in the U.S. Embassy in Laos, that it's a hot topic over in, in South Vietnam. Uh, what the relationship's going to be going forward because of the stuff that has gone on. And I assume you probably have some agents that extend into South Vietnam as mm -hmm. well. Is that, is that fair? Sure. Of course. Yeah. Okay. 
right. Um, so uh, the duty ops says, yeah, I got a message uh, for you. It's not from any of the agents that I've recognized um, that work for you, but you know, my job is just to report. So you know, hand you off the uh, message. And again, you read the message and you realize that you've been invited to a, a day at the races and um, that in fact, you're requested to report to a location in Saigon Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the next day, date and time, there's actually attached paperwork um, through, CI, C, through CIA channels basically authorizing you to uh, use CIA, CIA uh, aviation assets to fly you from Laos to, to Saigon for this meeting the next day. I'm on my bag. Okay. So. Greg Lamont, how's it going training the South Vietnamese Navy and signals intelligence and uh, uh, interdiction operations? Yeah, it's a uh, it's a labor, that's for sure. It's a, it's a different culture than he's used to working with. Um, so he's still work, you know, still getting used to that. And uh, but otherwise, you know, he's. Feels like he's doing the right thing. Happy with his work. I want to say he's got a, a apartment on the one of those squares, not a square, but you know, one of those intersections in Saigon where the streets kind of like connecting or whatever. Right. He's got like an apartment over there, and I'm thinking something like uh, uh, the who's what's his name, the guy from Apocalypse Now, Hop. Martin Sheen, his uh, his apartment, like kind of looks like that, right? Um, okay, yeah, perfect. And uh, yeah, and so he, you know, gets up in the morning, walks to uh, walks down to. I imagine he works kind of on the, probably on the river somewhere, right? Uh, yes, uh, you know, I. <laughs> so here's the awesome thing: uh, you can find like eight billion maps on Vietnam, and I know because I was looking, and I had like eight. And uh, of course, I don't have any of them to show you tonight because they're on another computer. Um, so there you go, prep for the win. Uh, but yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, and this is a good point to just kind of emphasize, this is Vietnam 1963, it's not 1968. And so it's, it's definitely a different time. The insurgency has resumed. Um, and as an aside, those of you, probably Willie Kane and, and Lamont and Lin San, all have a sense that in 1963, the, the South Vietnamese Army is doing okay. The, uh, mm-hmm. the U.S. Army has uh, introduced the helicopter as a, a tool for tactical uh, maneuver. And... Uh, the South Vietnamese armies had some success using it to catch out uh, mm-hmm. what are now being called the Viet Cong, uh, new term that, that's come out to, to describe mm-hmm. the Viet Minh. It's probably one of the most effective CIA propaganda uh, operations was to get that term in use. Uh, Willie knows that, just shop talk with some of the boys. Um, 
So the military situation is stable at this point in time. Mm -hmm. uh, there are some concerns uh, that you've seen, Greg Lamont, that uh, merit in the even in this tiny South Vietnamese establishment. Merit means you're connected to GM. Uh, you can't be incompetent, but it's not a situation where the, necessarily the best person always gets the job versus the competent right. person who's connected to. Mm -hmm. uh, which, speaking of crew, did you did anybody from Jacksonville uh, come with you? To uh, I'm gonna say no. I, okay. I think he he was just uh, when he came here, he was uh, really looking to just slough off everything from the past, at least temporarily, and just kind of start over. So he's starting fresh with a, a brand new group of guys. So maybe that could be a point of uh, tension, you know? Okay. Uh, so uh, in my mind, you're the head of this small station um, uh -huh. because it's a pretty new establishment. And in 1963, Vietnam's, it might mean something to the United States Army, but it doesn't mean a lot to the United States mm -hmm. Navy at this point in time. So it's, it's probably a shit post, um, which is maybe why you got it. Mm -hmm. uh, but the only good news, I guess, for you is that you're basically it. You don't really have a direct superior. There's an overall higher ranking naval officer who's like the you know main naval uh, advisor to the South Vietnamese Navy. But right. But he's, he's running his own show for the most no. He's doing everything. So you're like the only signals intelligence person. Um, so your job has as much to do with kind of re reviewing the products that your team develops. So you're at your desk and you're going through your you know, reports on you know, mm -hmm. intercept activity and what they were able to decode and what was in, in plain language and, you know, what it means and, um, you know, potential you know, signal analysis, uh, you know, what, what we can do from the amount of radio traffic, things of that nature. Yeah. Um, and you notice there's like a folded over note that's just kind of tucked in the midst of the reports. Mm -hmm. That's odd. I'm going to pick that up and uh, unfold it and look at it. For the second time in your life, you're staring at a piece of paper that says you're invited to a day at the races cool. with an address in Saigon, not terribly far from where you reside. Um, you've been there long enough to know that it's a pretty nondescript neighborhood, um, you know, not one well trafficked by, uh, you know, foreign nationals, but, mm -hmm. not, but not completely unknown to see people there, but there's like no official US government entity stationed in that particular neighborhood. Um, so typically most of the Americans and other foreign nationals would be seen there would be, um, you know, private company people, mm -hmm. tourists potentially, um, you know, French, you know, hangers on from the prior regime, um, you know, people of that nature. So nice. Okay. Yeah, he sees that note and his eyes narrow. His memories go back to the things he saw in Florida. 
Uh, Jack Cooper, anything you want to do before you go to this meeting? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm going to go um, kiss my family and uh, tell my wife that she might want to go visit uh, her aunt in the country. Wow. Going there already. Okay. Uh, anything else? Um, I'm going to uh, pull out my, uh, let's see, what is it again? I'm going to pull out my knife and strap it on. It's an okay. M5 bayonet. Nice. Do that in front of your wife or uh, out of her uh, area of vision? Out of her vision. Okay. Uh, Lin Song, anything you're going to do before you go to this meeting? Um... I think I, I think I have to let my supervisor know. Okay. Um, and I, th I think it's just, um, you know, like chief, I got, I got this assignment that came through. Um, so I might be, I might be on mission for, for a few days. And I'll gather my things and, you know, that's not irregular, I think, because of right. the, there's there's agencies within agencies, so things kind of right. get muddy sometimes. Um, so I don't think it's anything out of the ordinary. Are you suggesting to your boss that it's another Vietnamese government agency, or are you going to suggest it? To yes. Yeah, it's it's, it's it's yes. Okay. So your your chief looks a little a uh, little hairy because again he's a GM. A pointy, but um, you still have to produce results. And, mm -hmm. you know, this, while there's some degree of contentment that the Buddhist situation has been handled, there's still a little bit of pushback that, you know, if the intelligence agencies had done a better job, it never would have gotten to the crackdown stage. Um, so there's a little bit of job security stress going on in your office at this point in time that uh, someone's a little bit on edge so he's not terribly happy that you're off you know working for another entity versus working for him producing mm -hmm. you know tangible evidence of his competence um, but he also knows enough to know that your dad's also connected so if he makes a big stink about it it could go the wrong way for him so he kind of Stubs his cigarette out and waves you out of the office with a demissive, you know, <laughs> get back as quickly as you can. So, yes, sir. Uh, Willie Kane, anything you were going to do before you uh, wheels up for Saigon? Uh, yeah, just maybe a, a couple final checks with uh, Lucas, kind of go over what's going on with some of my agents and uh, have him 
I don't know, cover off, cover off uh, while I'm gone, and then uh, maybe a call to uh, Sophia just to kind of let her know I'll be gone for a while. And uh, she, I think, um, she maybe she, doesn't know, but suspects that I'm a CIA officer. Okay. Um, and she's in Bangkok. You're in Laos. So how right. often do you think you see her? Anytime she wants. Nice. Uh, <laughs> no, no, uh, uh, see her. Mm. I'm looking at my map. <laughs> um, yeah, let's say monthly. Our our paths cross monthly, quarterly. Maybe we talk monthly. Okay. Um, and do you divulge to Lucas that um, that you're leaving uh, on a Delta Green related activity? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good question. Um, he, yeah, he, uh, he kind of told me what to look out for and uh, prepared me for it. Um, you know, after I'd been. Uh, kind of recruited, roped into it. Um, yeah, so I kind of gave him the the wink. <laughs> I think okay. this is it, Lucas. So, so let me ask a couple questions about Lucas. Uh, in your mind, how old is Lucas? Uh, Mid-30s. Okay. I'm a little bit older than him. Okay. Kind of treat um, him like a younger brother in some ways. Right. So, and how long do you think? In your mind, how long have you been with the CIA? Lucas? Yeah. Uh, uh, six years. Okay. So it's interesting. You, you mentioned a book that you had read that kind of prepped you for this. So I'm listening to Legacy of Ashes right now, which is <laughs> a um, pretty damning history of the CIA. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, it's definitely got a viewpoint, um, you know, so, but it's, it's well written, it's well argued, and it, it very much paints a picture of the CIA as just a, a den full of, you know, crackpots and cowboys and, um, you know, people with exaggerated you know, senses mm -hmm. of their their self-importance and their ability mm -hmm. to influence the world. So uh, not a lot of professionalism and a lot of hard drinking, um, you know, a lot of ugly American stuff. Uh, so, I mean, do you feel like he's kind of one of those guys? You which know, which that, traitor wrote this book? <laughs> <laughs> which traitor yeah. to America wrote this book? Exactly. I had Tim exactly. Wiener. Exactly. Um, um, you're asking if Lucas is one of these kind of, yeah. kind of, uh, uh, hard drinking, hard written, you know, yeah, yeah, not to go. I can, I can do get behind anything. that. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so when you kind of give him the wink, he kind of stops and, uh, and, and puts his arm up and, and, you know, locks arms with you so that you're definitely looking at him. Uh, and he said, I hope I don't regret um, bringing you into this. 
I I hope I see you soon. Yeah, yeah. I got this, Lucas. Don't worry, man. Okay. What's the worst that could happen? Uh, would you say that? He kind of, you know, pauses and he looks down at the wheelchair he's in and kind of looks up at you with a, well. You know, you know what actually, I meant. And then he actually says, most days I consider myself the lucky one. He sends you on your way. I'll be back before you know it, Lucas. I got this, man. Okay. Uh, so let's fast forward to uh, your meeting. Uh, each of you arrive at a fairly nondescript uh, uh, building. I'm going to call it kind of a mixed-use building. So there's like a ground floor with um, your business commerce type activity, you know, small stuff. Um, mm -hmm. And then there are upper floors that appear to be apartments. Um, and y'all are actually meeting on the second floor of this building. And when you, you go in, it's a um, apartment. As each of you arrive, you kind of check it out. It's pretty nondescript uh, other than the other members of the group. Once all of you arrive, the four of you are, are in there. Uh, anybody gonna introduce themselves to anyone else? Yeah, I'm just looking around, taking the, <laughs> drinking in everybody who's, uh, but I'm not going to say anything right away. I'm, Last I'm time gonna... you did this, it was a hangar in Miami. Greg uh, yeah. <laughs> Lamont. Yeah. He's learned a thing or two. J Jack's going to ask in Vietnamese uh, how many of them speak Vietnamese. <laughs> and I'll, I guess I'll. I'll just put my hand up. Yeah. Halfway. A half half raise. Kane, Kane raises an eyebrow, but he's he's clearly signaling that he he understands. Nice. Excellent. Um other than that, Jack Cooper. Oh, you know what? I'm gonna respond. I'm gonna respond in French. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> And say, uh, and I wouldn't say French because it's too too noticeable when you say French. Um, but I, you know, I'll I'll basically respond and say, of course. Um, do you speak any other languages? Wait, so you're not responding in French? I'm responding in French, but saying, okay. of course, I speak Vietnamese. Do you speak any other languages? Um, Jack says, well, uh, well, English, obviously. <laughs> nice. And then under his breath, he's like, fucking imperialist. I <laughs> <laughs> hear one to talk. Uh, and Willie Kane, you're, you're there. What are you, uh, uh, he, 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 uh, he, uh, he responds, uh, uh, the young lady with a, a wink and a 
I don't know, a French phrase of his own. Il y a du poisson. Nice. Du fromage. <laughs> I don't think I don't think Greg understood what she said. <laughs> he just nods like a like a, like a, tour, like a tourist. <laughs> like, oh yeah. <laughs> I always love this part of the game when the characters <laughs> first are thrown together. So. Uh-huh. <laughs> Um, and I'll say in English, um, I assume you're all here for a day at the races. Day at the races. I'll hold up my little note that I had in my, uh, in my, my binder. I'm, I'm guessing if we've been called in, this is, this is serious, huh? And it's obvious to uh, Lynn and uh, Willie and Greg Lamont that Jack Cooper is not currently U.S. military, or you just you can just tell from the way he looks and the way he's acting that he's not United States government. Um, so. Okay. Do we have a picture of him of Jack? Oh yeah, let me. Um... We do in the it's black on, book. It's in Actually, black. do we? Yeah, yeah, in black. Yeah. Okay. All right. Pull it up. I think Greg I've been Lamont. picturing Matt's character for Jesse. Yeah. I don't. I don't think that's right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Matt's character is primed for 1968. <laughs> so. Uh, okay. Uh, so, uh, oh. Jesse, you can throw your picture up? Yep. There it is. Okay. Okay. It's my service picture. Yeah, I'm guessing you're not currently wearing a helmet. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> no, yeah. okay. no, it's, uh, it's, um, put quite a while later. <laughs> okay. Uh, so y'all are kind of sizing each, uh, each other up when um, the door opens again and you see a nondescript, probably 40-ish year old, you know, five foot, 10 inches, uh, you know, male uh, op- uh, person in a United States Navy uniform. It's a commander's uniform. Greg Lamont, you notice that while it's a, it's a correct commander's uniform. Mm-hmm. It is lacking in any um, insignia that would designate a ship or base or theater assignment. Mm, okay. Um, so it's a it's a commander's uniform. You know, commander's insignia, um, and he comes in, closes the door, and. Um, you know, announces everyone, please be at ease. I am Commander Pierce, and I am here to brief you on uh, a matter of great interest to the United States of America, a great interest to 
the Republic of South Vietnam. He kind of nods to Lin when he says that. Uh, really a great uh, interest to humanity if, if this actually leads where it might lead. Hopefully it, it turns out to be nothing. But here's why we have brought you here today. There is a, a French national by the name of Alain Blanchette. Uh, you may or may not be aware that he is a reporter stationed here in Saigon, affiliated with United Press International. Um, what you don't most likely know about him is that he is someone who has from time to time shared information with Delta Green. Um, he has some knowledge of the existence of the unnatural and he has gone missing. Wait, Delta and Green? What's Delta Green? <laughs> is that really how Jack Cooper's going to play it? Yeah. Well, Mr. Cooper, if you recall from your circumstance with that uh, particular rosary and the unexpected and undesired properties of that rosary, that uh, the United States government or an entity within the United States government was able to provide you some assistance with that situation. Do you recall that? Yeah, but I, I always figured that was CIA. So well, Mr. Like... Cooper, go ahead. So are you like, like part of the CIA or, or some other, I don't know, like, remnant of OSS or what? Delta Green serves at the behest of the National Command Authority of the United States of America. It is a multi-agency task force designated to address matters that do not fall squarely within the gambit of any other uh, department of the United States government or branch of the United States military. Particularly circumstances dealing with things similar to that rosary that you uh, came upon. The purpose okay. of this organization is to ensure that things Again, I'll use your particular experience with that rosary. There are things that are far worse, far more dangerous uh, than that rosary. That yeah, like DM. <laughs> that appear from time to time Ooh. in the world. Lynn, Lynn cocks an eyebrow at that. Yeah. Um, uh, and that's not going to slide, but he's going to finish his point. There are things that are far more disturbing and dangerous than that rosary you found. And they need to be dealt with. They need to be dealt with discreetly. They need to be dealt with in a way that preserves uh, 
public morale, public faith, public confidence in, in humanity, really. So from time to time, when situations arise, we bring in subjects such as yourselves who have particular assets, skills, or experience to investigate and deal with situations. We expect you to do it discreetly. In reference to your comments about the current political leadership of uh, South Vietnam, that is not a subject for Delta Green to address. Uh, well, that's a new the, one. U.S. government the, agency that's not interested in meddling in politics? Correct. I might, there are some I might things that far there are some things that far surpass uh, the importance of petty politics, who's in power in this country, who's in power in that country. Um, the matters that we address and the matters we deal with, those types of issues pale in comparison. Now, I will caution you, Mr. Cooper, that the assignment that I'm about to give you and the rest of this team you certainly may feel from time to time that the realities of politics and international relations as they sort themselves out on the ground here in Saigon may intersect with what we're asking you to do. I want to make crystal clear to all four of you, Delta Green has no interest in the progress of the DM regime whether it stays in power, whether it goes, uh, the ultimate outcome between North Vietnam and South Vietnam, those are not objectives of Delta Green. Our objectives are limited. It's important that all Delta Green agents understand that. At no time should you use the power and authority of resources that access to Delta Green grant you to advance your own particular agendas. Understand, Mr. Cooper. As long as we're saving lives and not taking them, I'm okay with that. If, again, it's my hope that our fears are unfounded in this situation. If they are not, then I suspect you'll do far more for the people of South Vietnam resolving this situation than. DM or any successor will have the ability to do. May I proceed? Go ahead. As I said, Alan Blanchett is a reporter for the United Press International. He works here in Saigon. He again has, from time to time, shared information about the unnatural. He has a prior experience of the unnatural. Uh, and some prior interest in the subject. He had indicated to us that he was pursuing a lead, a potential story about an artifact with unnatural power that had come into possession of certain Buddhists here in Saigon. Jack starts rubbing his, uh, his wrist. <laughs> It's, you know, without realizing it. He uh, missed his last 
meet with his handler two days ago. He's not shown up at work. He's not returned to his apartment. Delta Green's concern is that he, in fact, was on to something significant. And he's either been eliminated or he has been kidnapped or captured by those who may be involved in the unnatural. Unfortunately, we don't have more specific information about what precisely he was investigating other than, again, it was an artifact that allegedly had recently come into possession of certain Buddhists here in Saigon. His meet two days ago was supposed to provide additional information and sources for us to evaluate. Again, he's missed that meet. He's failed to show up at work. He's failed to return to his apartment. Delta Green's concern now is that in fact, there are forces who have access to the unnatural and we must get to the bottom of what's going on. And I, I, I'm, I'm just not hearing it. What is his association with the Buddhists? He does not have an association with the Buddhists. He is a longtime reporter stationed here in Saigon. He uh, was most recently affiliated with the United Press International. Do you know which pagoda he, he was checking out? Of course I know which pagoda he was checking it out. What kind of fool do you make me to be? He was checking out the Hershel Pagoda. Oh yeah, I, I'm familiar I've heard with good that. things about that one. <laughs> no, it was, uh, I, I have now just failed to recall. It was the pagoda that was associated, was close. It was the pagoda associated with the uh, crackdown. Shalo, oh, I think. Shalo. Yeah, it was a uh, Shalo. I think. But it wasn't clear in the limited information he provided whether he was directly going to the pagoda or if he just associated this with the monks who are and the, and the worshippers who attend that pagoda. That was okay. unclear. Yeah, with a few of them that are left. And I'll, I'm going to say that Lin Song knows that at this point in time, the Vietnamese military has withdrawn from the pagoda, um, but the attendance is far lower than it was mm -hmm. before the raids. Um, Lin San might know other things about that, but I'm not sure I want to say it. Sure. At this point. So, um, I'll leave it up to Lin San to decide what she says. Um, so, I apologize for the scarce nature of this briefing, uh, but that's the information that I have to provide to you. I've got an address for his apartment. Obviously, the address of the uh, UPI office here in uh, Saigon. That's really all the information I can give you at this point in time. Can we talk to his handler? 
Okay. That person would probably need it. Actually, you know. I'm trying to decide because you know Delta Green kind of runs on a cell mm -hmm. system, so they kind of they keep certain responsibilities divided up. Um, uh, Pierce is so going to say not. that um, if if there's something specific you want to know from the handler, you can convey it. Make that request through me, and I will see if I can get you an answer. Okay. Okay. That's fine. And we'll need a way to contact you. And he provides a, uh, a local Saigon phone number and indicates that you can leave messages for me there. Okay. And what was his name again? Commander? Pierce. Pierce. What he said his name was. He didn't sure. show you that's, an that's ID. Enough. But... That's enough. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody Gershon this one? All right. I'm sketching some stuff down. Okay. I'll share, I'll share it with you guys. Lee Kane, any questions? Why is this so important? I mean, you've alluded to it, but what's, I mean, what is, what is, uh, Alan provided before? Kane, um, I realize, like Mr. Cooper, this is, and to an extent, like Ms. Song, this is your first time where Delta Green has had to directly call on your services. But Mr. Kane, I think from your background, you could understand the concept of need to know. Um, I can simply tell you that. Mr. Blanchett's provided information in the past that we found to be credible and actionable. And we have no reason to believe that his initial reporting on this was anything other than accurate. Although I will want to make clear that he was investigating a story he had not reached a conclusion himself, which is why Delta Green was not acting. We were awaiting his follow-up to uh, determine whether there was sufficient information to act on. I'm sure particularly Ms. Song and Mr. Cooper are aware of the delicate circumstances uh, here in Saigon and in South Vietnam in general. Um, while Delta Green has no interest in the ultimate political disposition of the DM regime or the politics of South Vietnam, we certainly are sensitive to the fact that those are delicate subjects, and we certainly do not want to cause unnecessary aggravation or complication uh, to a delicate relationship, which is why we had not acted on the initial information. And is our mission just to find him? Well, that's an excellent question. Uh, certainly priority one is to 
uh, locate Alain, A-L-A-I-N, <laughs> Blanchett, B-L-A-N-C-H-E-T-T, uh, optimally locating him and recovering him and determining uh, who disappeared him and for what reason are uh, the priority. But number two, ascertaining with more specificity what he was investigating, continuing the investigation yourself to determine, in fact, if the unnatural is involved. And number three, taking appropriate action to ensure that if there is an artifact with unnatural properties, that it is secured so that it can do no harm. I mean, Obviously, I, I, know, I know you want to blame some sort of unnatural thing, but what, why don't you think it's just another one of the Viet Minh uh, disappearances? They've been disappearing people for, for years. Well, if it turns out that this was nothing more than a random kidnapping, um, that this was much ado over nothing. But again, given the relationship with Mr. Blanchett and his uh, prior information that we found to be credible and verifiable, that's a sufficient cause of concern uh, for Delta Green to become involved. That's what your investigation concludes, then so be it. Okay. Uh, Greg Lamont, you haven't said anything so far. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I kind of know how this goes. Not my first rodeo, so to speak. So, um, I got the. I, I think with with the UPI address, the office address, and the information he gave us, I think that's going to be enough to go on, at least initially. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think he's just kind of, Greg's been through this before and he is kind of trying to just play it cool. Right. So Commander Pierce surveys the room. Again, I wish I could provide more information to you, but, uh, as you get to know each other, I suspect that, uh, Lieutenant Lamont let me share with you that the reality of Delta Green's work is that we often rely on our agents to develop their own information, uh, their own leads, and ultimately their own courses of action. It's the nature of the work we do. It's the reason that each of you was selected to be involved. Each of you have skills and talents and abilities that make you well suited for this type of work and we have confidence that you'll be able to resolve the situation unless there are other questions i will let you begin your work very good thank you sir yeah okay let's do it big grin grin on greg's face <laughs> back in the saddle <laughs> i was gonna say back in the game you'll be hearing from okay. us if we need anything yeah <laughs> and i think we'll fade 
Fade to black mm-hmm. there. Very cool. All right, boys, well, we are that means I don't get on to the road again. Confront when saying. <laughs> Not yet. You can't. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> no, <laughs> we faded. No. Yeah. Got, got to let it build up a bit first. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah, you're open, open with that next time. Save it for the next one. Absolutely. So. <laughs> All right, boys. Uh, good work. I uh, It's good to get back in the GM saddle. It's been a little while, other than some Zweihander stuff, uh, to get back doing this. So I uh, didn't roll any dice tonight, but that's not necessarily that's out okay. of the norm for me. So <laughs> I think some of our best sessions in 1961, we didn't roll the dice the entire time. Yeah. So. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else we need to do before we wrap. We have dates because we pre-committed to our dates, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, it, you know, certainly if y'all are thinking about your characters or you want more background information uh, between now and the next session, just you know, either direct message me if you want to do it privately or throw it up in the rocket, and we can kind of discuss it. But I'm anticipating when we start next time, you guys are going to start chasing the trail and seeing where it leads you beautiful cool then i'll figure out the next step after that so i have some uh again i have some uh good ideas but i'm also curious to see what y'all do with the initial information <laughs> mm-hmm. sometimes y'all stuff is better than the stuff i think of <laughs> <laughs> if you give us red herrings we will choose yeah. them yes. yeah nice and if, and if we get explosives, we'll blow something up too. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. Certainly discuss doing it. Yeah. Um, so when we shut this down, my question for Jason is going to be I, I want to go ahead and try. Although, if you, if you back me up, that's. I can't help it if I cry.